Welcome to Something Personal, the podcast where a team of financial planners discusses families and finances and the intersection of those two things. I'm Amy Liberta, the editorial manager at Palisades Hudson Financial Group, and my guest today is Shamari Hearn. Shamari is our firm's executive vice president and chief operating officer. Thanks for being here today, Shamari. Thanks for having me. So Shamari, in our firm's book, Looking Ahead, you co-wrote the chapter on relationships with adult children. That's right. So we've worked together for the past 13 years, which is as long as I've been at the company. And this is our third edition of Looking Ahead. So I know firsthand that when you wrote this chapter originally, you didn't have an adult child yet, but now you do. Uh, Has your perspective on this advice changed at all now that your own child has reached that point? So fortunately, no. (laughs) Uh, My daughter is just is turning 20 now and uh, junior in college. And so... Now she's at an age when I I get to apply the advice that I've been providing to my clients uh, for the past 25 years to my own situation. So this can be sometimes an emotionally fraught topic for some people. And I know that most of the advice you give in the chapter in the book is more geared toward interpersonal relationships between you and your adult child rather than super technical advice. Do you find that's also true when you're giving advice to clients? Yes, it is. When When it comes to clients sharing information about the family's wealth with their children or grandchildren. A conversation often centers around the client's relationship with their children, what information they're willing to to divulge and when and how best to communicate that information. Uh, This is because money can be an emotional and stressful topic for families. Uh, The technical part of, of gifting or leaving assets to children and grandchildren is often the easier part of this process. Say someone comes to you wanting to provide financial support to an adult child. What are some considerations you'd tell them to keep in mind when they're making that sort of plan? Uh, Although this may seem obvious, uh, but people uh, often forget about it, that they have to consider their own financial situation first. It's similar to being on a plane. uh, And when the uh, uh, when a flight attendant tells you if we lose cabin pressure to put on your mask first and then put on uh, your child's mask or whomever you're with. Um, And that's the same when it comes to being able to help uh, your children or grandchildren uh, or other family members is is basically understanding that, you know, in order to be of help to others, you have to first be um, consider consider your own needs, um, because it, it won't necessarily help if. You know, in the short term, you're able to help them, but longer term, you then become a burden to to them uh, financially. So it's it's a matter of you know making sure that um, whatever assistance you can provide is within your budget or within your means. If you have a client come to you, do they often ask for help with specifics? How much can I afford to to help my children? How much can I afford to leave them? That sort of thing. Uh, yes, that that happens quite often actually. Um, where we sit down with them, we identify what their uh, needs are, um, looking at, and, and what we often do is what's called a cash flow projection or retirement plan, where you know we make certain assumptions about the amount of income that they have currently, if they're retired, also looking at what their income is in retirement, along with uh, you know their living expenses, looking at what their retirement assets are and investment portfolio is 
making certain assumptions about living expenses and about investment rates of return, uh, and then projecting that out. Uh, also making certain assumptions about in, uh, inflation rates for living expenses as well. So when taking all of those factors into account, then we can say, all right, let's make some assumptions about gifting or uh, you know, more so typically gifting, right? Because it's during their lifetime um, and seeing, depending on the size of the gift or the, the type of support that they plan to give uh, to their children or grandchildren, um, you know, how much of an impact that may be on their own financial situation. And what we do is we'll stress test it, not only looking at expected returns historically, but also looking at what happens in the adverse scenario where uh, investment returns are much lower than anticipated for a long period of time. In situations like that, that may tell us, well, maybe we don't want to give as much now. Maybe we can we can give a certain amount to help support them, but we may not do a lump sum upfront gift, but rather, you know, give it uh, in installments over time that still helps them, but also make sure that the parent or grandparents don't run out of, you know, what they need. Sure. I imagine you have both the idea of personal things popping up in your life. And as the COVID pandemic reminded us, sometimes things happen that no one saw coming. That's right. If you have clients asking you about supporting their children, do you ever bring up ideas of things other than direct monetary support for them? Yes, we do, actually. Uh, it can depend on what their child's needs are as well. So, for example, maybe we're saying instead of just outright cash gift, maybe it's looking at, well, where where do your children need the most help, right? Is it um, to help cover um, certain living expenses or tuition? Um, are you helping them with a lump sum down payment on a, on a home uh, to purchase a home? Um, so yeah, it typically depends on the situation uh, and then figuring out whether or not, um, you know, the best type of uh, assistance to to provide or what's, what's the most effective way that they can help. So what happens if you have a client come to you and they have an adult child who's actively in trouble, either because of bad decisions or bad luck, combination of the two, um, and they're concerned about being part of the problem and not part of the solution? What kind of advice do you tend to give? Uh, I think th in, in that situation, it's it's more helpful to give targeted gifts or assistance rather. So in that situation, maybe it's, all right, well, I'll help pay a particular bill, like a certain utility bill, or I'll help them by purchasing their groceries. Um, because you don't want to be in a situation where you're gifting and enabling them to continue these bad habits. But at the same time, you do want to provide assistance because you want them to, to help get them out of that, that you know, tough situation that they may be in. So that may mean, you know, for example, I've had a client where his uh, daughter is in uh, attending grad school. And of course, because of the workload, you know, uh, her ability to to make income that's sufficient enough to cover her, her you know, living expenses and her needs, uh, uh, the clients uh, decided to pay for her rent during this time. Um, and that took a huge financial burden off of her 
her plate, but at the same time, it allowed them to make a, a specific gift or assistance, which ensured that instead of just giving her the money and then she potentially spending it on things that are not uh, necessary or, you know, um, discretionary expend, uh, spending, it, it went for an actual need that was really going to be supportive and helpful for her. And as you mentioned earlier, there's also the problem of giving so much that you've then created a burden down the road, which is another thing that it sounds like you want to make sure you steer people clear of. So you're not just throwing an unlimited amount to, to fix a given problem. That's right. Are there other goals that may lead parents to make lifetime gifts to their adult children? Uh, yes. So I think it, it depends on the amount of assets, say, those parents have and um, how much they think that they'll be leaving behind as an inheritance, but also in realizing, especially if it's a sizable amount um, of assets or wealth, that they want to give them an opportunity to potentially make certain mistakes during, you know, uh, during their lifetime, right? By giving them uh, a certain amount of money now to see how, how they handle it. Right. Are they or are they going to take some of it and, and use it wisely, like, all right, purchasing their first first home or putting some of that money to work in the in um, in an investment portfolio uh, and just seeing how they they handle those funds. And then that that gives them some sort of metric to understand, well, maybe, you know, we need to have more conversations with them or maybe we need to have them uh, have a, a meeting with a financial advisor. Uh, for example, maybe they decide to the, the parents may pay for that that meeting with the financial advisor um, just to help them develop a uh, a long term financial plan or an investment strategy. Or if they just need help with budgeting, with, with you know, to, to help with budgeting as well. Um, but I also think that there's some benefit in terms of for the for the parents uh, and the children um, in terms of giving them some money. Um, during the parent's lifetime so that the parents get to see uh, their children enjoy some of, you know, some of the fruits of the parent's labor. Right. So I think there's, you know, th there's multiple reasons for giving money during the lifetime, you know, in terms of gifts versus just saying, all right, we're going to keep it all held away until, you know, um, uh, the parents are no longer around. So backing up a little bit to people who you've run the projection, you may not be able to just give a large lifetime gift without putting yourself in a precarious situation. Maybe you're concerned about later in your retirement cash flow, a variety of things. But you do want to help out your children, maybe with a down payment, maybe some of the other things you mentioned. Are there other options that they have besides a direct gift? Uh, absolutely. A perfect example of that it would be uh, making an intrafamily loan. Right. This means that they'll lend them the, the funds because they they have the means to do that at this time. Uh, but fortunately, they'll be able to um, get the money back or the principal back at you know some point in the future. And along the way, they'll own, earn some interest. Uh, and it works out well for both the parents. They're, they're go going to get some money um, in the form of interest and the child will be able to pay interest at a lower rate than they may get from a third party lender. It just requires that the loan be set at the applicable federal rate that the IRS issues on a monthly basis. So with the applicable federal rate, is it always lower than the kind of rate you would get from a bank from a mortgage? Yes, it, it's always uh, more favorable than what you would get from a third party lender. 
So to give you an example, the the um, long term AFR rate for September of 2023 is 4.19% of the interest is being paid on an annual basis versus it was just a it was a headline in September at which point uh, mortgage rates were uh, were above seven percent. Um, which is over like a 21 year high. Um, so just to give you an example, over 7% um, and 4.19%, you can see that it's a substantial difference. Um, and it may not seem that way, you know, when you're looking at it, just viewing um, percentages, but when that translates into what that mortgage payment will be in terms of between, uh, you know, principal and interest, you can be talking about depending on the size of the loan. It could be anywhere from hundreds of dollars to a couple thousand dollars, right? So it it's always pretty well. I won't say it's always pretty significant, but it's definitely more favorable. The AFR rate is always um, more favorable than long term uh, or third party uh, rates. So what happens if they set the interest too low? It's below the applicable federal rural rate. What happens then? Yeah, in that situation, then the IRS will deem it as a taxable gift from the parent to the child. And uh, I know in on another uh, podcast, you guys will talk about uh, estate planning and gift tax uh, implications, um, as well as estate tax implications. But it winds up using up some of potentially using up some of your lifetime exemption amount, just depending on the amount of uh, the interest that would have been due. Right. Um, if it was charged at a essentially a, a market rate. So I can picture if my parents were in a position to give me a loan, I would certainly rather pay them interest than a bank. I think there's there's certainly a family building component, but I can easily imagine with some families, this could also be pretty tricky interpersonally. Has that something you you caution clients against as well? Uh, yes, I, I do. Um, I think in terms of, you know, letting the clients know that especially they also the, the the clients know their children, um, and I think that also plays a large part in it. Um, and also with the parents needing to communicate to the child that yes, this is a loan. Um, I expect you to pay me back. Um, in order to formalize this, we're going to document in a formal loan agreement. Um, just depending on the needs, it could just be a promissory note that they can draft up both parties, the parents and the children sign and um, just saying what the terms are, right, is going to stipulate how much is being lent, the amount of interest that will be paid on an annual basis and when the principal needs to be repaid. Is it going to be part of the, the monthly payment if the uh, child is paying it, making uh, monthly payments on the loan or will it be paid at, at the end of the loan term? And essentially like a loan, uh, a balloon payment. But it's I think it's important to and this is where communication comes in to reiterate that this this is a loan. And I expect you just like if you were to borrow from a bank that you will honor the terms of the loan. Otherwise, you would be in default of the loan. Now, of course, a third party lender doesn't really care. They will come after certain assets. Right. So if it it's a, a loan that's secured by. Uh, a property or real estate, then they can foreclose on that property. Um, you know, parents <laughs> that, that can put them in, in a tough situation where they, they don't want to uh, have to kick their, their children out of, out of the home. Uh, but it may 
there should still be consequences. So there may in this situation be uh, those consequences might be uh, foregoing future gifts to to that child or adjusting their whatever their inheritance will be due to the fact that this loan essentially has now become a gift. And is that something I assume you just encourage clients to talk about upfront when they're setting the loan terms, the repayment, all the other things is is the consequences of default as well? Yes, it is. And I think, it again, it, it winds up going back to the particular client and the fi- family dynamics. Uh, if the client's children are very responsible, then, you know, that that's an easier conversation for them to have if they need to have it at all. Uh, but for maybe a child that has has shown to be less responsible in the past, I think it, it's important that they have that conversation at the outset. Um, but it's great, too, because this also is a a way for the parent to help teach responsibility and accountability. Um, So even if they were less responsible in the past financially, this is an opportunity for them to show that they can be financially responsible going forward. I know in the earlier uh, question that you had asked um, regarding loans, I I failed to mention a a good example. I had a client who um, was helping his uh, daughter and her husband purchased their their home in um, in California, which, of course, real estate values are extremely high in that market. So it might have been difficult for them uh, with their incomes to be able to secure a loan large enough to to purchase that property. So the the parents basically lent them the money to purchase the home in exchange. They became uh, the lender, uh, but it, it facilitated the transaction. The um, children have been responsible in repaying the loan. Um, so it, it worked out really well. Um, and in the meantime, the, the parents are, are getting some interest on that money. Um, you know, we're in a different interest rate environment now, but during that time, I think the applicable federal rate, you know, for that long-term loan was probably, uh, you know, two and a half percent or so. Um, so it worked out well, you know, the, the parents weren't getting much money with that sitting in, uh, essentially cash or money market funds in, in their portfolio or at the bank. And it also uh, set the loan at a, at a rate that was very um, affordable for their children. I think that's a great example. And we've talked already a lot about the importance of communication. It's something I know you talk about a lot in, in the book chapter as well. Financial conversations are definitely a thing some people find very easy, some people find more difficult. I'm sure you see that with your clients as well. What is some advice that you often give for starting those kinds of conversations with an adult child, especially if it's not something you've been doing all along and sort of set up from a younger age? That's uh, another great question. And this comes up often with clients and it's something that we often have to encourage because, you know, again, because of the family dynamics, uh, it's sometimes that, you know, that can be a topic that is difficult for the parents to feel like that they can broach. Um, but we strongly recommend uh, having, fam- uh, you know, setting it up as a family meeting um, in, a, you know, a neutral location uh, that's private so everyone can speak freely um, and that they, you know, and, and we typically recommend and we help by facilitating that meeting by having a financial advisor, you know, oftentimes we participate in those meetings um, or the estate planning attorney to to sit in on those meetings to basically explain, you know, what the, the plans are and the different aspects and provisions of that plan 
but also it's great because the um, children get to hear directly from the parents um, what they're thinking is and why they're making, um, they've set up their estate plan in a way that they have uh, to why they're making a certain amount of gifts um, to say their children during their lifetime and how much, I wouldn't get in necessarily get into specifics in terms of the exact dollar amounts or what will be left behind because of course, for various reasons, right? That answer is, well, that response is almost certain to be incorrect, right? Because you're talking about some some point in the future, but giving them an idea of when they do pass, uh, the parents pass away, where, um, you know, what portion of assets will, will go to whom and be there to support the family. That will typically make things, I think, a lot easier than if, you um, withhold that information and just say, all right, we're going to make the plans. And then once we pass away, the children have to deal with it, right? Well, if it's one child, that's one thing that may not be so difficult, but if there's siblings involved, um, there's certain expectations they may have had, like, I like this particular heirloom, or um, I was expecting to get this certain amount of money because I wanted to to start a business or purchase a home or, you know, uh, or so forth. And, the, and then the um the results or the outcome it doesn't match up with those assumptions there's a lot of hurt feelings it can create a lot of uh family strife so going back to your question i mean the communication is is essential so those family meetings help facilitate that a great deal yeah i know it's it's never super fun if you have a parent that you love as an adult child to think about them passing but avoiding those surprises also can can i imagine lessen the shock a little bit. And it does seem like on this podcast, we always come back to death and taxes somehow, just always comes up. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I mean, they they are uh, unavoidable. Um, and But uh, go, just going back to the family meetings, you know, there's there's been a couple that I've been a part of um, where one in particular, you know, this is, you know, they're more of a, you know, can be a complex situation. You can often see these where, you know, there's, uh, maybe a second marriage and there's children from the first marriage. Uh, so you're trying to balance out how much you're leaving behind to, you know, those children, but also providing for the needs of the surviving spouse. Right. So I, I think in those situations, those type, those family meetings and that, you know, um, laying out what your plans and intentions are, are even more important. Right. Because, you know, after, after say, that one parent has passed away. Now there's, you know, dealing with the, the relationship between the surviving spouse and the children and not wanting them to fight over money um, by laying out the, the the plan early on. I think it, it helps um, hopefully reduce a lot of uh, any potential tensions or, or so forth that, that that might exist. So we've talked sort of about big picture family meetings with probably many attendees. Would you recommend generally that if someone has designated an adult child as their executor or a trustee, should they have extra meetings more one-on-one -on -one with them? Um, or is that a thing that you can usually handle in, in the family meeting or does it vary? Uh, that's a good question. I think it helps if, you know, they're if there is some additional discussions or meetings, maybe they're not just, you know, necessarily formal meetings or conversations, but there, there should be some explanation of, um, or just informing that particular individual that, you know, I've selected you to be my executor or, um, you know, my trust, the, the trustee of, of the trust and, and how, you know, what those responsibilities entail 
have them meet not only the financial advisor uh, for the parents, but also uh, the estate planning attorney to help answer any questions because, you know, estate planning can be very technical. Um, so understanding what their uh, responsibilities will be um, and that, you know, especially in the case of, you know, being an executor or a uh, trustee, how they are acting as a fiduciary. So they have to put the interest of uh, all the beneficiaries ahead of, say, their own personal interest, right? Because they're doing it for the benefit of, of the collective um, as opposed to uh, just themselves. Was there anything else with family meetings that, that you feel like people should bear in mind or? Um, yes, I think that it should not be a one and done situation, right? You just have the meeting once and you'd be like, okay, I feel relieved. <laughs> I've communicated everything because things change over time, right? So I, I, you know, we typically recommend say every few years, maybe every five years or so, just to, you know, reassess. Maybe the first meeting, it was just more so covering um, covering the basics, right? Giving them a, an initial lay of the land. And now maybe is also looking at it and saying, okay, now the parents are further along, the value of their assets and their their estate has has grown some more. Or well, maybe we want to start making, um, you know, lifetime gifts to the children. Um, you know, just again, like we, like I touched on earlier, you know, just seeing, seeing their, them benefit from it, especially if you see that, you know, one child or another may be, you know, struggling to make ends meet, for example, or that they have a, a child that's about to go off to college and they need some help paying for tuition, you know, making, making their lives, you know, easier, um, but not necessarily killing their ambition to, you know, succeed on their own. Cause I think that's one of the, the issues that parents um, can often grapple with is what they don't want to stifle that um, that energy or that focus or, you know, their work um, or affect their work ethic. Right. They still want them to work hard, especially for parents who, you know, they accumulated their wealth. They didn't inherit it and they they worked hard and were able to earn it and, you know, uh, grow it on their own. They, they don't want to stifle. They want to see their children do the same thing. So they don't want to stifle that in them. But I think at the same time, it just it also depends on their situations. Right. So if the the child is, um, you know, maybe they, they um, are going into education, which doesn't typically pay a great deal, but they they're working hard at it um, and, and they're doing well at it. But, it, you know, it's a struggle to make ends meet. So they, they may want to help them. One of the other things I think in, is important in, in these family meetings is also communicating that fair is not always equal in a sense of so giving that prior example, um, it doesn't necessarily mean that within inheritance that if we have, say, three children, that we're going to divide up the assets a third, a third, a third. It may be, for example, again, um, that teacher where is, um, is, is one child, but the other child, uh, one of the other children is an investment banker who's achieved financial success on her own and doesn't really need any, or, or a significant amount or equal amount of the inheritance. Right. So, you know, maybe they, you know, would leave more to, um, the child that's, that's in education. And so that also is important to be able to convey that in um, in that meeting. So, again, based on 
so that everyone is on the same page and is aware of of what may be coming down the road. I also think it's it's helpful in being able to those family meetings in terms of uh, just communicating to your child. Um, I think more so in terms of that we are here to, to help uh, in any way. So funny enough, I, you know, uh, I actually took my daughter out to a dinner for her, uh, essentially a birthday dinner uh, the other night. And we were talking and, you know, one of her concerns is she wants to pursue a career in the music industry um, and she's her focus is in marketing. And she's con- concerned about when she first graduates from college, you know, her income that she may may make and, and you know, starting out may not be enough to live in a city like New York City on her own and needing some um, you know, wh- whether or not she'll be able to make ends meet and just letting her know that, you know, fortunately her mother and I are in a position that we're able to help support her, her vision or her goals. Right. You know, w- w- luckily enough, we've all been able to, um, provide for her in a way that she can pursue her dreams. And I'd rather her take, uh, I'll focus on a career that she really enjoys and being successful at it. And eventually she can, she'll, she may see it pay off monetarily versus uh, taking, you know, pursuing a career that she may not stand, but she knows it'll, it'll meet her, her financial needs. Right. So. Sure. I think those meetings help, you know, for a number of reasons and, and, and basically, um, you know, conveying support, um, and the reason behind, you know, what the plans are of the parents to, you know, passing on wealth. That actually leads me uh, directly into a, another question. We've talked a lot about housing in this episode, which I think is not surprising given the state of the housing market. And it's all in a lot of young people's minds these days. Um if, say, you were living in New York City or L.A. and you had a child who had just finished college and wanted to live in one of those cities but didn't really have the finances to start start out on her own yet. If you have an adult child who's either finished college or has had a life change due to a divorce or, or anything else and they want to come back home and live with you, um, is that a thing that you have advice for clients on? Is that something you've seen? Yes, uh, we, we've seen it quite a bit. I mean, especially coming out of the uh, Great Recession um, in 2008, 2009, it was a very uh, difficult period for um, young college grads coming out into- I can say I graduated in 2007, so I feel this very strongly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So totally understandable. Um, and I, you know, I think we see it more these days. Um, and I think that, yeah, that's totally fine. I think you know, those, the conversations that I have with, with clients or that at least in terms of giving them some advice and how that may go will be, um, you know, understanding that, you know, again, this goes back to communication, but setting down ground rules at the outset, right? You know, that child has now had a, a, um, a good amount of independence, right? Going, especially if they've gone off to college and, you know, lived, um, away from home for a number of years and now they're returning. Well, you know, the the dynamics are different from when they were in high school. Right. Um, you know, the curfews and things like that. You know, it was just understanding in terms of, um, you know, what their responsibilities may be at home, how, you know, um, at, you know, in terms of them coming and going, 
um, in terms of will they in this situation now, will they be contributing anything towards household bills? Will you charge them rent? And, you know, whether or not they can have, you know, adult company over or, you know, just communicating those those things early on, I think will help make that um, process much smoother, go much smoother. And then I think, again, going back to the financial aspect of it, it still may help even if, you know, maybe you have them pay a utility bill or something like that to feel as though that they're contributing towards um, the household in some way and not being a um, feel as though they're, they're just being a burden on their parents. But it's also an opportunity for the parents to say, for example, you know, maybe they charge them rent or if they don't charge them rent, that they, you know, just tell them that they expect them to save this money that they would have normally been paying on rent, that they put that money away so that they build up a nest egg and that at, when they actually do move out of the home, that they have these resources available, they have this financial cushion. So uh, I think that helps a great deal. And if they do charge rent, maybe it's more so to put it in an account and to set aside for that child again for when they move out of the house so that they have this money available to them. In most cases, I don't think the parent, or at least in our client situations, they're not looking to make money off, <laughs> off of their kids. It's just more so to help teach um, you know, responsibility and prepare them for when they do wind up moving out of the home. Sure. So it sounds like as with the loans and really as with everything we've discussed, there's not a one size fits all for what makes sense with the so-called boomerang kid coming back to live with you. That's right. That's right. I think it, it, it there's so many different factors involved. It, it depends on the child, how responsible they are, you know, how, uh, you know, who, you know, who they, who the, the, the type of people they may hang out with or so forth. I mean, it's just, it's just so many facets to it. It just really depends on that specific situation. Um, so trying to tell the client that even if they may have approached it a different way with their parents, maybe that's that's not necessarily the case in, in this particular situation with their own with their own children. So we come back to communication, which is very validating for me as a yeah. person who has made communication the center of her career. <laughs> um, right. So as we're talking about communication throughout this podcast, throughout this chapter, we talked a little bit with um, our colleague Eric Meerman about philanthropy in his episode of the podcast. And in that episode, we talked a little bit about legacy and the way that you might have hopes for your kids as it relates to your money. Do you have clients who are interested in establishing either a philanthropic legacy or another kind of legacy? Um, and if so, how do you advise that they talk with their kids about it? Another great question. Uh, we do. Uh, and, and you know, with my uh, my clients, I know, you know, Eric and our other colleagues, we, um, many of us wound up broaching this topic with our clients. I think, you know, from a legacy standpoint, and again, this goes back to those family meetings, um, it is a good way for the parents who, you know, if they're very charitably inclined, um, that they convey that to their children, um, you know, and as part of their legacy and their core values of saying, okay, yes, we've, we've been successful on our own, but it, you know, we feel as though it's important to give back to the less fortunate. And that might, you know, they may have certain initiatives that, that they care, um, care about greatly, uh, and that they want to share with their children, but also saying, well, these were important to, to, to us. Maybe there's, um, you know, other charitable initiatives that their children may be, uh, more interested in, but, you know, starting that conversation 
just to, again, help convey uh, their values and hope, hopefully be able to pass that along to their children and their grandchildren um, and so forth. Great. So we've we've covered a lot, but is there anything else you wanted to talk about with this chapter or just family meetings in general that that sprung to mind that we didn't touch on yet? I think, you know, when it comes down to it, it's it's really communication. I think communication is essential when it comes to understanding and conveying not only the family's values, but also, you know, what is available in terms of financial resources and when, you know, those resources will be made available to, uh, say, the children or whether it's during their children's lifetimes or, uh, you know, at, upon inheritance when, the you know, the clients and the, the, the parents have passed away. All right. Great, Shamari. Thank you so much for being with us today. It was a really fun conversation. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Something Personal is a production of Palisades Hudson Financial Group, a financial planning and investment firm headquartered in South Florida. Our other offices are in Atlanta, Austin, the Portland, Oregon metropolitan area, and the New York City metro area. Something Personal is hosted by me, Amy Liberta. Our producers are Ali Elkin and Joseph Rangeli. Joseph Rangeli is also our director, editor, and mixer. Our firm has written two books, Looking Ahead, Life, Family, Wealth, and Business After 55, and The High Achiever's Guide to Wealth, which offers advice for younger professionals, entrepreneurs, athletes, and performers. Both books are available on Amazon in paperback and as eBooks. books